Hey there, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for your life and mission. I am Aaron Sandemeyer, and I will be your host. Each episode, I will be having transparent conversations with people who care about you and desire for you to be healthy, resilient, and confident in your life and as you pursue your mission. I know that one of the biggest roadblocks to health, resilience, and confidence is lack of clarity. I believe the transparent conversations we will be having and the life stories we will be hearing will be invaluable for both you and I. Today we will have the opportunity to sit down with Pastor Arnold Bracey, who is a pastor at Cornerstone Church in Bowie, Maryland. Pastor Arnold's story is honestly something you could make a movie about from his time growing up in New York City and then getting involved in the Marines and the leadership lessons he learned there. And I don't want to give all his story away. And then working in D.C. police. It's a fascinating story. It's riveting and he's very personable. You'll enjoy sitting down and learning from him. And he provides some very key points, some lessons as we talk today about self-leadership. What do we do when we're criticized? What do we do when we're falsely accused? What do we do in certain areas of our life and how do we maintain our integrity? How do we continue to have faith and trust in God even when the situation looks dire, even when the situation does not look good at all? What can we do? And Pastor Arnold will give us some valuable insight and information on that today. And I think things that we can apply in our lives because as leaders, the reality of being a leader, if you lead anything, you're going to be criticized, whether that's at work, whether that's at home, whether that's in mission, whether that's church, and how do we handle those? At times we say, ah, you know, criticism doesn't bother me. The reality of it is words hurt and people criticize when you're putting your efforts in, you're putting all of your focus and energy and effort into something and you have someone criticize or falsely accuse you or something of something, it hurts. It really does. And Pastor Arnold's going to give us some valuable information and insight on what we can do to remain resilient, to remain healthy, and to provide clarity in the mix of those type of situations that bring ambiguity and frustration and irritation. He's going to give us points of how we can keep our clarity in the midst of that. So there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome to the Clarity Podcast. It's so exciting to be here today with Pastor Arnold Bracey. He's a friend from a long way back and excited to be here with him today. He's currently serving as the care pastor at Cornerstone Assembly of God in Bowie, Maryland. And he is also a bivocational minister, so he works in different areas. I'm just going to let Pastor Arnold, would you just share a little bit about yourself and your history with the listeners? Sure. Thanks so much, Aaron. It's great to be here with you. I was just talking with my wife about when you first came to the church, when you were just a wide-eyed kid from West Virginia, didn't know what God had, but man, to see you now, it's just so encouraging, man. But Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. But yeah, my name is Arnold Bracey, and what I do now is I'm a corporate security manager for a big medical data company. And basically what the company does is it processes medical data for millions of folks and they use the analytics to help healthcare companies and hospitals know how to provide care efficiently. Hmm. And if you ask why do they need a corporate security team? Well, it's because uh, the federal government and the HIPAA requirements, they take that serious. So they really have to provide not only 
IT security, cybersecurity, but they also have to provide physical security. So dovetailed into why I was able to get the position. And that is because basically at 17, I joined the Marine Corps. One of the things God gave me the grace to do was to protect U.S. embassies. And then from that, I was able to get into law enforcement and I was the chief of protective services in Washington, D.C., protecting all the local government buildings. And then once I retired from that, that kind of paved the way um, to some of the other stuff I got to do, like what I'm doing right now. Well, I am thankful that there are people like you that have the courage and the insight to and the bravery. And we want to thank you for your service and want to thank you for serving and protecting people that, that have less courage like me. And so we do appreciate you. Really do. I mean that with utmost sincerity. And that is amazing to see the different gifts that God gives different people and how we can work together for his glory. Pastor Arnold, today we're here learning and discussing on self-leadership. That's the focus of the podcast on how we can lead ourselves. And when I was talking with Pastor Mark about somebody, I said, you know, I want somebody that would model resiliency, um, adaptability, self-awareness, someone who's a learner and leading themselves well. Your name was is right off the top of that. He said, you need to talk with Pastor Arnold. And so that was what he said. And then, so I thought it would be great for us. And so the first thing I would like for us to talk about today is, do you have any learning experiences in the past? Um, I know your story a little bit, so but in the past where you've had to lead and learn, where you've been maybe under a state of criticism or people that are different, and how did you find clarity in those situations where you would be falsely accused or falsely criticized in your past? Well, it's interesting that you say that. I've got two stories that relate to it, but the story that'll best answer your question was the second story. And the second story was when I was the police chief for the protective service in Washington, D.C. Well, at the time, this was back in the mid 2000s and a bunch of military bases were being closed. So during this time, a lot of security professionals that were in government policing were losing their jobs. So I had reached out to a gentleman. He had good references and I reached out to a gentleman and the gentleman was interested in coming to work for me. And what little did I know at the time is that when the person got to the job, that person believed, you know what, I think I could be the chief of this place and started a campaign of false accusations. I mean, I don't know if it's well, we'll get to my first story, but I don't know why my stories just wind up in the media. (laughs) this, This guy goes on Fox TV And, you know, I don't know if you've seen them, but in America, when someone's going to to be a whistleblower or something that they want to claim, they'll have their faces blacked out and their voices changed. And they just really just rattled off a bunch of things that weren't true, you know. But it's a political environment. So you're basically watching your reputation just be trashed. Yeah. But God always prepares his people. And at Cornerstone, we were doing a Bible study. I don't remember the author, but I remember the book. And it was called Choose the Life. Wow. And it was a discipleship book. And there was a section in the book that talked about our reputations and that we don't own them. Now, we know in the Bible, you know, you live to have one. But if someone is going to accuse you of things that's not true, basically what the author was saying in the Bible study was we don't even have rights to our own reputation. 
So I was reading it and I was really challenged by it. I'm like, what's it mean? You know, so you know how me, I'm kind of thick headed. So I'm like, yep, I'm reading it, processing it, but I don't really get it. Well, when this happened and, you know, at these times that you always are driven to your knees and I'm like, Lord, you know, look at what's happening. This guy's betraying me. He's stabbing me in the back. You know, none of this is true. And I just heard that still small voice say it happened to me. Mm. And then I realized then that whole chapter just unfolded and opened. And we know they called Jesus a wine bibber and a drunk and he was crazy. So I realized when you're in his service, there are times where your reputation is not going to be your own, where you get your strength is knowing who you are in him. And in that time, I realized, okay, Lord, you know, part of growing to be like you means we're going to experience things you experienced. And who was more betrayed than the guy who put in the Judas's life for three years and yeah. Look what happened, you know? For sure. For sure. Why do you think, Pastor Arnold, why do you think that's so hard for us for us to learn uh, that lesson? You know, why we guard our reputation? Do you think it's an American mentality or do we want to hold on to our reputation? Or I mean, you obviously found clarity in the middle of that situation, but why do you think it's so hard to let go of our reputation and trust it to God? Yeah, I do think that reputation really crosses East and West, but how it's processed I think in the West, it's true because we tend to want to discuss what our rights are. This isn't fair. This isn't justice, you know? Well, sometimes as a believer, we just turn it over to the Lord and let him do it. Because what I've also found is with God always moving in the unseen, we don't know how many more souls are going to be touched because our reputation may have been besmirched, you know? Yeah, We're sure. looking at things on the surface and there's no doubt it's not, it doesn't feel good. If you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, you start thinking about, Oh man, my family, how's it going to impact my wife and my kids? But for me, I just realized, okay, God, this is an example of definitely why we just give things over to you and let you work it out. And we keep doing what you called us to do. For sure. In that situation, Pastor Arnold, what did you do for your family? Because you just said it was on Fox News and you had people, you know, this guy evidently saying a lot of, I mean, most of our situations on our teams, the people are not going to be on the news uh, talking bad about us. But what did you do in that situation? Because I think as a man, we'd want to protect our wife and our kids. We wouldn't want them to hear it or our friends. How did you respond in that situation? Yeah, that's a great question. What I wound up doing is the first person I went to was Pastor Mark, because what you'll find in these situations is those people that are your family and your friends that you most care about, they also care about you and they know what's true when they hear it and what's not. Yeah. So the first thing I did, well, it's true. Before even going to Pastor Mark, I told my wife, hey, this is, you know, and it was one of these things, Aaron, where it was like a three day special. It wasn't like a, a one 15 minute blurb. You know, it was one of these breaking news investigative reports. So wow. I knew my family was going to have to listen to it for three days. So yeah. I talked to my wife and let her know it was coming and, you know, just those family members and told her where we get our hope from. You know, people were more angry for me than I was, but I got to tell family, wherever this is going, I'm not going to let it pull me to where my witness is going to be damaged by it. Yeah. I'm not going to behave like it's true. Okay. I'm going to be the way God has designed me to be, and I'm going to keep doing what he's called me to do. So I did that first. And then secondly, I talked to Pastor Mark and said, hey, this is going to be coming out. I don't want the church to be surprised from it. And God moved. And it does go back to why you live a certain way. So my reputation and truth helped me in this circumstance because people said, 
hey, this ain't the guy I know, and this isn't the guy who I've seen day after day, year after year, serve the Lord. We already can tell what this is, you know? Yeah. So I didn't overly focus on it, but did prepare those who I thought was going to be impacted by it. That's great. And you said something you said there, you didn't behave like it was true. Could you go a little bit deeper on that? What would it have looked like if you would have behaved like it was true? Yeah. For me, as I was praying about it, and we didn't talk about my first story, so I do have to say some of these takeaways and these things I was able to do was because what I learned from my first experience. But in this experience, basically, I wasn't going to let it steal my joy. I wasn't going to walk with my head down. I wasn't going to let it prevent me from caring and loving on folks. You know, it's what I love to do, and I wasn't going to let it impact that in any way. Yeah. The big smile you have didn't go away, huh? (laughs) It's a good deal. Good deal. Well, you've alluded to it a few times about the first story. Would you mind sharing your first story with our listeners? Sure. Not a problem. My first story was, like I mentioned earlier, I went to the Marine Corps at 17. I was blessed to come to know the Lord at an early age because of my parents. My parents got saved. Both of them got saved when I was about 10 years old or so. Um, And they both jumped into ministry. So between age 10 and 17, those seven years, we used to help them when they were getting there. I used to help them when they were studying for their theology degrees. And my mom became a Bible college teacher and my dad became a minister. So I just sitting at their feet and helping them study. And so anyway, by the time I went into the Marine Corps, I had already had my identity in Christ. So amazing. I get into the Marine Corps and you talk about a leadership thing. Leadership, and you guys know this, is basically influence. That's how I always see it. And sometimes we do things and we don't realize it's leadership. So as a kid growing up, I didn't really think of myself as a leader. I've always been passionate to try to help and take care of people, you know. But it wasn't until I got into the Marine Corps that leadership started to really unfold in a way that God could talk to me. So I get in the Marine Corps and I'm thinking, first of all, I'm a kid coming from New York City, grew up in the projects. Going to the Marine Corps wasn't something anybody I knew was successful at. Even when they went to join the Marine Corps, they were typically shipped back. Okay. So so I said, well, I'm not getting shipped back. That's not going to happen. So when I got there, I just decided I'm going to do whatever I need to do to be successful at this. So God being who he is, that's what happened. I got there and it made sense to me. But what didn't make sense to me, because growing up in New York City, where I grew up at, if you were too, what's the word I'm looking for? If you were too out there, if you were too friendly, you could get caught up in things just because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay. So that kind of, that mind your business kind of mentality, that was one of mine. So when I got to boot camp, I wasn't thinking about the guy to my right, to the guy to my left. I'm like, hey, I hope everything works out for you, but that's about <laughs> it. So what the drill instructors did was, i never forget, they pulled me to the side and they said, yep, Bracey, you know, you think you're a hot shot, but have you ever thought that maybe you can do what you do so you can help other people get to where you are? Mm. And I never thought about it. I thought, hey, if I keep my nose clean, I'm good. I'm not worrying about that guy to my right or my guy to the left. And, and the drill instructor said, well, in the Marine Corps, we can't accomplish any missions unless the team accomplishes the mission. And having one guy who's way ahead of everybody else ain't helping the team. Wow, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So from that standpoint, I started realizing, OK, this is what leadership looks like. It's not coming in first. It's making sure the whole team finishes, you know. Yeah, it's good. So it really started changing my perspective. 
But I have to say, I still didn't want to be a leader. I'm like, look, I want to get through this. Leadership comes with, because what started to happen too, is you got punished for stuff you didn't even do. You got punished for things <laughs> you did, you know? So I'm thinking, this really isn't fun. Yeah. But then you start to realize it and you realize it when you looked in the face of that Marine you were helping. And when it worked, when you helped them do something or understand something they didn't get, the look on their faces and the encouragement that they received because you helped them, that really started changing my perspective. And I'm like, okay, I do like this part. I do yeah. like helping people get it and helping people know their role to complete the mission, you know? Yeah, for sure. But like I said, I still wasn't happy about it. So I get through boot camp. So they're like, okay, Bracey, you're going to be in charge of a squad. So all through boot camp, I was in charge of, I was a squad leader. So being a squad leader, you get meritoriously promoted. So after you get meritoriously promoted for boot camp, the next place you go is your duty state, your A school duty station, where you learn what the Marine Corps wants to teach you. So I thought, okay, now I got to learn. I really want to just be in the back, get my studying done and do what I need to do. So go get shipped all the way to California. There's probably 50 to 60 Marines in this class. You know, we're all out of boot camp. So I thought I'm going to sit as far in the back as I can sit. I'm going to just do my thing. And, and then the instructor comes in and he's like, okay, I got to pick a guy to be in charge of this class. So because I was meritoriously promoted, I was in the private first class section, not just a private anymore. So I, so all the private first class had to raise their hands. And I don't know, it was maybe 10 of us out of the 60. And the guy's looking around and I'm thinking, you know, there's no way I want to do this. And the guy goes, hey, you, you in the back, you're in charge. I thought, <laughs> Lord, okay, what's happening, you know? But for me, it was God, how it was for me was God saying, I'm calling you to be this. There's yeah. things you need to learn in it. It's what happened. So my whole career, that's what I was in charge of something, you know, yeah. in charge of people. So anyway, fast forward, because I did well at what I did, I got a chance to do specialty training. And that specialty training was embassy duty. So I said, okay, this is 1985. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to go on embassy duty, I'd like to go to the toughest place that they've got. And that at the time was Moscow. I mean, Russia at the time, Gorbachev and Reagan, that was it for the world, you know, yeah. the two superpowers. So I get over there and the first thing I realize is, okay, Russia isn't what, I mean, they didn't even have like sliced bread, you know? Hmm. So you realize, okay, how things are portrayed maybe isn't necessarily how it is. But there were, you know, it was a communist country. So while we were there, we had workers that worked in the embassy that were communists. And some of the Marines felt, hey, one of the ways I'm going to show my patriotism is by really treating these people like they're not human. Hmm. So I couldn't allow that. So I didn't let many of my Marines participate in any kind of communist bashing of these people who were cooking for us and cleaning for us and all this stuff. And then there's this common sense. You're going to bash people that are cooking for you, you know, yeah. but just that part of knowing who you are in Christ, it's not how you treat people. So that was the first thing. Little did I know that was like a check mark that was making me different than everybody else was I wasn't allowing people to treat the Russians that way. That were in the embassy. And then the next thing was we had a Marine and he was over there and the duty, he just wasn't. He just wasn't built for it. Some people aren't built to be overseas. And he was one of those guys. So we had a couple of rules and, and the rules were you couldn't travel alone. You couldn't be out by yourself. But also there's the unwritten rules in the Marine Corps and in other branches of the military. Sometimes as you get higher up in specialty units, the basic rules start shifting. 
And that basic rule I learned in boot camp that you got to take care of even the weakest link and specialty units, that started to shift. And the shift was, hey, what we do in specialty units is we remove the weak link. Hmm. We don't have time to deal with it. So we're just going to treat it like it shouldn't be here. So that's what happened with Lone Tree. So that was his name, Sergeant Lone Tree. Some may remember this. It was a little bit ago, but but anyway, so because basically the detachment kind of turned their back on them, turned their back on him, the Russians always had everything bugged. There was always microphones and stuff in our living quarters, and they knew it. So they waited for the guy. And because he was ostracized, no one would go with him, went out. That, that shouldn't have been the case, but that's what happened. So the Russians were able to reach out to him. And even though we were trained on their tactics, when you're lonely, you're lonely. So they reach out to him. They try to befriend him. They find him a supposed girlfriend, and he's believing all of this. So I start to realize, hey, the guy is really ostracized. And none of the leadership on the detachment cared about what he was going through. So I said, you know what? I'm going to befriend the guy. It's how my faith has raised me, you know? So I befriend the guy. Well, I've got two strikes. I've got caring about what's happening to the communists, and I got taking care of a guy who nobody wanted to have anything to do with. So sure enough, Lone Tree leaves Russia and he goes to Vienna and he gets caught up in a situation and he gets caught and he's arrested for espionage. Basically, the Russians at this point, now that he's left Moscow, try to get him to basically spy, spy on the embassy. And then they tell him his girlfriend's going to go to Siberia if he doesn't cooperate. So long story short, you know, Lone Tree does what they ask him. And it's hard, even when the country, even when our country realized what he was doing and tried to help Lone Tree, he still messed that up. And they said, you know what? Okay, he can be turned over to be punished for his, his what he did wrong. So when they turn him over and they talk to him, There were some other things that were going on, too, behind the scenes. And one of the investigative services that was responsible, they had their own political situation happening where they were the country was thinking about disbanding them. And they decided they needed a great case to keep from being abolished. So Mm -hmm. they tried to take something and make it into something. So when they were speaking to Lone Tree, they realized, okay, this guy couldn't have been doing anything by himself. Is there anybody who was his friend over there? Well, at that point, they come to talk to me. So long story short, they take me to a hotel three days and they have this statement they want me to sign. And I'm 19 at the time. So they have this statement they want me to sign. To look at the statement, to me, it was like somebody was saying, hey, we believe you're Peter Pan and you can fly. And we (laughs) need to sign this statement and that's going to prove you're Peter Pan and that you can fly. Oh, my land. I didn't know what else to do. 19, and you weren't allowed any legal, you weren't allowed any kind of advice, help, nothing. I had the Lord with me and that sustained me, but I didn't know what to do. So I signed these papers. And when I signed the papers, then it all made sense. And they're like, yeah, you're done now. You're going to go to jail forever. You know, you may be executed. Espionage, treason is a offense punishable by death for any service member. So this is what all started coming out. So I get, so now what happens is, and we go back to that question you ask about how do you comport yourself even in this circumstance and situation? So the first thing they did was send me to the big jail in in Camp Pendleton, California. And the big jail, you're in solitary confinement. And when you're in solitary confinement, you're fed under the door. 
you know, mm. the first thing. To, and but like I said, God is so good because I would, went through that embassy training. We had training how to behave if you're a hostage, you're in a situation and you're a hostage. There's things that the captor is going to try to do to you that is going to try to take your humanity. It's going to try to take your dignity and it's going to try to take who you are. So there are things you have to do and remember to know who you are. Well, the mistake that was made was they gave me a Bible. That was the only thing I could have in solitary confinement, but it was all I needed. I had as much time as I needed to read it. And then, like I said, things that I learned from my training supported me. You know, that when God says you're never going to be tested above what you can handle, it is true. You just have to think back to what he's done for you and what he's provided. And the answer is going to be there. So when I realized I was in solitary confinement and they were going to feed me under the door, that there's no light other than when they turn it on and off, you don't know what day it is, you don't know what time it is. Well, in training, make your own internal clock. Mm-hmm. When they turn the lights on, you start your clock. Now that piece that a human needs to know what time it is, you've got a way to maintain that mentally so you can continue to function optimally. So long story short, um, God prepared me. And then they'll send a psychiatrist to see you to make sure you're okay. And I never forget when a psychiatrist got there, I just said, none of this is true. And my God's going to do what he says he does. And I saw the guy's notes and he wrote like delusional. But long story short, God took care of me. And in the Marine Corps, they're only allowed to keep you 90 days. It was hard on my family because it was all over the news. Luckily, there was no internet back then. So I am that old, you know. But 90 days is a long time. And 90 days is a long time. And what wound up happening is my family, I didn't know because I was in solitary confinement. I was kind of protected from stuff, you know. Okay. But my family is hearing on the news. He's going to get the death penalty. You know, uh, and I got the secretary of defense saying they should be shot and all this stuff because I wasn't the only Marine that got accused because that investigative service was trying to solve the greatest case in history. They were accusing Marines left and right. But anyway, 90 days happens and there's nothing. There's no proof. There's nothing. And it's not because they weren't looking. It just didn't happen. But there are times with your reputation where you're going to realize you can't prove what didn't happen, you know? So to worry about it and try to defend it, you just put it in God's hand. So 90 days, they had to let me out. They had to say, we got nothing, you know? So that was the story. God kept me. I still had to finish my tour in the Marine Corps, but God kept me through it and restored my reputation in it. Wow. When I was released from, well, they took my rank because all this trouble, I got reduced from sergeant to corporal. And one of the coolest things God did for me in that time, Aaron, was when I got out, because here's how it happened. You know, you talk about a Joseph thing. I get out of prison and now I have to work with the security battalion that I was incarcerated by. Oh, my lands. But I had other Marines because of how one thing I wouldn't let them do was I wouldn't let them prevent me from doing the things I knew good Marines did. When my, when superior officers came in, I stood. Yeah. When it was time for me to get my haircut, I asked for my haircut because there are things like when you see a Marine in trouble, sometimes you can look and it's as hard as it is to say, you can look and say, look at that guy. He's not keeping his regulations on his haircut. He's not keeping his regulations on his uniform. That means his reputation is that. Okay. So when I was 
in confinement, I had to see attorneys and do stuff. And they wanted me to go outside that way, you know? And I'm like, no, I wouldn't go out this way. If I wasn't in this situation, my hair would be cut. You know, I would have an iron my uniform. So I'm not leaving until I can be given the things that a Marine would have, you know? Yeah. And so it took no time for the other Marines that were my captors to say, mm, this guy is not what we typically see. Yeah. And you could see by keeping true to who you are, and I know for our conversations, being who we are in Christ is going to matter and there are going to be people watching. So the respect that I was able to have when I got out was because of the conduct I presented when I was in solitary confinement. So, yeah. so anyway, so I get to this group and then they give me an opportunity to be promoted again, which... I mean, it was like a movie. Yeah, it is. A movie. So they were like, OK, let's put him up against everybody because he's not going to win. Well, the problem was I was already a sergeant and God had already blessed. So now my competitions was guys who were trying to be one, you know, so God kept blessing. I guess the part that I'm most happy about is in each step I took, the people that were responsible for evaluating could have said it doesn't matter that he is the one that is rated the best. We're not going to promote him because of what his past is. Okay. They didn't do that. They kept saying, he was the best one, move him up, move him up. Well, it got high enough to when I got to the base level, politics had to kick in then. Now the general is saying, what is this Bracey guy doing beating all these guys to be meritoriously promoted to sergeant after we just accused him of being a spy less than a year ago? So of course, for that time, there were no promotions on all of Quantico Marine Base because they couldn't find any other way not to give it to me. But for me, it was a God thing. Yes, I didn't officially get promoted, but God let me know through that process, hey, you're still my child and you're no different now than you were when you got incarcerated. You know? Wow. But anyway, so that's that story. That's an amazing story, but it comes back to that. The point that you made in the first story you told is you didn't behave like it was true. The accusations and the criticism that they were made against you, you said, I didn't behave like it was true. You followed the Marine standards and did those things. That's a valuable lesson, I think, for all of us to remember, to remain faithful to what God has called us to do, to remain true to who we are and true to who we are in Him, in spite or despite the circumstances that we're in and Man, that's an encouraging story. And it's amazing to see how God has brought you through that and given you now an opportunity yeah, to influence. So now at the present time, you're working as a care pastor. How has the um, experiences you've had in the past, how does that help you care for people today and in the future in a way that it more models like Christ? Yeah. You know, going through what I went through, one of the challenges was I didn't have, while I was going through that Marine Corps time, I didn't have like a church community supporting me, you know? So one of the things I know as a care pastor is people are going through things and they really are dependent on the Lord to come through. So one of the things I love about being a care pastor is you get a chance to partner with other believers that are waiting on the Lord. And sometimes God uses you to be his hands and feet. He'll use you to help facilitate that 
path that somebody can really know who God is because of things he did in their lives and how it can impact. So for me, knowing how important that community, church community is, it always keeps me on my toes to make sure that the church has at least avenues of ways to help folks based on things that have been presented to us, you know? Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. And what advice would you have for audience concerning, you know, you lead, you've led and you continue to lead it at high levels in different areas. What advice would you give our audience on what you do to lead yourself well as a pastor and leading a large team at the church and then also leading a team in the security realm? What advice or counsel or wisdom, Pastor Arnold, would you give to our listeners today when it comes to leading themselves well? The first thing I would say would be your time with the Lord matters. But I will say this, what that is for each of us, I believe, looks different. Some people really get with the Lord as they study. Some people as they worship and sing. So I would say as long as you are spending that time with the Lord so he can pour into you so you can pour out to others, he's going to help you with those self-leadership things that you need. I think the challenge for leadership is we can get so caught up in the busyness that our time and our relationship with him suffers because we keep pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. But at some point that pouring out, you're going to run out and then you're doing it on your own strength and then things can go really sideways. So my advice for that self-leadership is just make sure you stay connected to that vine because that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. And what advice would you have or wisdom or insight to help us as workers, missionaries, leaders to maintain and have a teachable spirit? Because one thing I've, through your story, you told, you talked about your mom and dad and you were learning from your mom and dad and how that created a foundation. You talked about them when you got to the Marine Corps, you were learning there every step of the way. You know, that's one thing that really pops out is Pastor Arnold, you share your story is that you had a teachable spirit in all those areas. And I assume that continues to be that's what it is today. What advice or wisdom would you have for us to continue to maintain a teachable spirit wherever we are at in our life? Yeah. And that's a great question, too. For me, my spirit is teachable because I always understood we're only stewarding things for the Lord. He may give us a lot. He may give us a little, but it's not ours. So what keeps me teachable is if it's not mine, like if somebody were to give you something, you have to take care of it the way they would take care of it. Hmm, For you to take care of it the way they would take care of it, you've got to learn from them to do it. Because if not, you're taking care of it the way you want to take care of it, but it's not yours. You know. So what keeps me teachable is knowing, okay, God, I know I got to give account for this. So I need you to let me know what I need to do because scripture is clear. Our job is to equip those he's given us to equip as leaders. And I never want to believe that I have all the answers. And Proverbs tells you, hey, the counsel of many is a blessing from the Lord. So for you you to get counsel, you got to be teachable. So we should always be looking for ways to know. And for me and my teens, some of the best ways to know is you got to get in the trenches with your guys. You got to see what they're seeing and, and get input from those that are actually Robert of the road, I guess. Um, okay. That's way to say it. That's good. That's good. And one last question, then I'm going to ask you once we get through this question, if you could pray for us. In your current season of life, what is the most important thing for you right now when you're looking at your leadership development and how your God is working in your life in this season of your life? What's most important for you now as you follow Christ? For me now, what's most important 
is how I steward time. God's been talking to me for a couple of years now about being time is a commodity. And I can only speak for myself. I am one of those folks that sometimes I just like to zone out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But when you're responsible for things, this for me that are of the Lord, I realize, hey, I may not have as much zone out time as I would want to have. So I realize, okay, Lord, I'm going to have to be more intentional with how I spend my time and how you want me to spend my time. We know God isn't the God of burnout, but if we're not listening to him, that's exactly what's going to happen. So for me at this season of my life, I am still working through, because I've got a family, I want to make sure that as good a pastor I am, I'm that good a husband, that good a dad. So all of those things require you to balance your time in a way that may not be what you're used to, you know? You have to schedule. And that's kind of my thing. I like to wing things and do things. Well, you can't be that effective unless you have a way to have more than 24 hours in your day. And none of us do. So that's my challenge. And you guys can pray with me on that as I pray with you guys that we steward our time in a way that's honoring to them. Because if God's got something for us to do and we're not ready to do it, then somebody's blessing may be delayed, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Pastor Arnold, I appreciate you so much. I thank you for your openness and your transparency. I thank you for your wisdom of was sharing with us today. Lots of great insights and key points, I think, that are really going to help our listeners today and in the future. When I listen to podcasts, that's what I want to know. What can I take home from this today? What can I apply? And you've given us many, many points that are going to allow us to do that and take home. Will you pray for us? Will you pray for us and pray for the listeners that God will help us to follow Him and that He will help us as we lead ourselves, as we lead others. And maybe there's somebody today that's listening that's in the face with a situation where they're being criticized or being accused. God will give them strength and they will, God will give them clarity in the midst of ambiguity at this time in their life. Sure. Most definitely. Lord, we uh, come before your throne of grace, Lord, humbly, but boldly, Lord. I want to thank you for those that you've especially gifted to bring your word to places that are not known to them. It's not places that they were raised or grew up, Lord. I thank you for the heart you've given them, Lord, for the people, Lord. I pray you bless them in a special way, Lord. I pray you just give them supernatural encouragement, Lord, that you knit their families' hearts together in ways that only you can do and that are special, Lord. I also pray for those first generation of believers that they're reaching out to, Lord, that you give them the wisdom and the insight um, that they would need to have those first generation of believers navigate, Lord, their cultural circumstances and norms, Lord, knowing that you are the God, Lord, who can provide and take care of all things, Lord. And I pray for those that are in circumstances where their reputations may be challenged, Lord, give them the strength to know who they are in you, Lord. Lord, let them have comfort in knowing we are built more like you when we go through the things that you went through, Lord. And Lord, you went through it. Lord, we shouldn't be surprised when we go through it. But I pray that you just allow them to keep their eyes on you, Lord. Let them be confident in who they are in you, Lord, and that you will never let them go, Lord, and that our reputation with you is always spotless, Lord. I thank you for all that you do and all that you bring into these circumstances. I pray for the resources that they need. I pray for their leadership teams. I pray you just bring them the things that they need, Lord, to accomplish what you've given them to accomplish, Lord, and never let them get weary and well-doing, Lord, but that you send visions and dreams to them, Lord, to just encourage them, Lord, 
when times may seem the darkest, Lord, because you are there with them, Lord, and you are making ways even now as we pray. And we thank you for that. And in all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I told you that Pastor Arnold's story was fascinating. Being in solitary confinement, being put in a place and then told that they were most likely that you were going to die for something that you didn't do. Learning his leadership lessons on how he led and how I think the point that I took away from his sharing with us, investment in us today, was not acting like it was true. When he was accused in D.C. police of wrongdoing, he didn't act like it was true. He acted like the man that he was, a man of integrity, a man of honor, and a man of courage, and he walked that out. And when he talked about being in solitary confinement, when they wanted to let him out to go to his court appearances, he wanted to be, he wanted to dress like a Marine because that's what he was. He wanted to be well-groomed and ready to go in because that's what he was taught as a Marine and began to make others think about, hey, this guy didn't act like he did something wrong. He actually acts like he's a solid stand-up person. And that's who Pastor Ronald is. He's a solid stand-up man of integrity. And so I think it is, for me, I took from the lessons and the wisdom from Pastor Arnold today. The reality of it is a lot of times when we come under attack, when we come under criticism, we begin to begin try to defend ourselves. We begin to react rather than respond. And we get on the defensive. And sometimes we can, our character can begin to, begin to move towards someone that actually is guilty or someone that actually is doing that. And that's not what Pastor Arnold did in those situations. And valuable lessons learned on how to handle criticism how to handle accusations, how to walk in integrity, and just a valuable story. And like I said, his story could be a movie, TV movie, or motion picture, whatever. Google his name, and you'll see the whole story with Lone Tree and all that kind of stuff. It's a real story. It's the reality of it, and just interesting. And if you ever get to meet Pastor Arnold, huge smile, as kind of person as you would ever you'd ever want to meet, and beautiful family, and just a phenomenal man, and man that I greatly respect, and I just thank for him for willing to invest in us and to learn from his life experiences how we can apply those in our life. The other last thing was is he talked about the foundations that his parents instilled in him as a young man and how that carried him the way through. And so if you're a parent out there and you may be discouraged, you're a parent out there, you wonder if it's all worth it, be encouraged today. Pastor Arnold's testimony of parents that invested in him and loved on him and showed him the ways of God and the biblical worldview that stuck with him throughout those challenging times in his life and still stick with him today. And so thank you once again, Pastor Arnold. We appreciate you and your investment in us. Next episode will be episode number nine. We're going to sit down with Pastor Zach and Pastor Shelly Maddox, good friends of mine from a long way back. And we're going to talk about transitions and family health. Uh, Zach and Shelly, I have worked in Sudan, have worked in Israel, now back in the United States as pastors. We're going to talk about young family life, what that looks like in ministry, what it looks like to make those transitions with young children, and then in marriage, and what they've done, lessons they have learned, how they've set boundaries, how they've tried to put things in place to keep their family healthy and strong. You're not going to want to miss that interview with them. It's a valuable one, and one for young families specifically that you're going to take some key points home from and be able to apply in your life as as we transition each and every day. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible, agwmafrica.org for an increasingly transformed Africa, 50 countries, 257 training centers, 404 missionaries, and 79,106 indigenous churches. Discover what you can do and how you can be engaged at agwmafrica.org. And by Appalachian Spring Dermatology, bringing new life to your skin. Learn more about the medical, 
cosmetic and skin cancer screenings and treatments. Appalachian Spring Dermatology can provide for you. And sign up for Dr. Rosenberger's blog at wvderm.com. And by Central Assembly of God and Pastor Doug Seaman in Cumberland, Maryland. Caring for each person, connecting each story, and celebrating each miracle. Providing clarity in life and mission. The Clarity Podcast. Until next time.